Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us so well in worship. Well, it's a real privilege this morning to have uh, Pastor Elio Morocco, who's uh, visiting us from Toronto. For those that weren't here last week and, and may not know him, um, he, uh, together with his wife, Pastor Mickey, lead, um, are the lead pastors of New Life Church in Toronto, Canada, a church that's ministering to over 800 people. And they've been there uh, 17 and a half years and done an incredible job in ministering to the church. They were the lead pastors of this church for 21 years. And under their ministry, this church went to a, went to a new level. We moved into this building. Uh, he's a great minister of the Word of God. I know that God is going to speak to us today. Would you give him a big warm welcome as he comes to share the Word today? Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's a joy to be here again to minister God's Word. I very much... Enjoy time with Pastor Joe. We do a lot of crazy things together when we're together. But in the midst of all the crazy things that we do, we encourage each other uh, to look forward to great things in God, to look to a greater vision, do mighty things in Jesus' name. Because we realize it's only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Remember that. <clears throat> um, Pastor Joe said, uh, Elio, you were overdressed last week, so I need to dress you. So he went shopping with me. Because he had to make sure that I didn't have ripped jeans. and So he says they have to be this size, this color. So I think I look amazing this morning. <laughs> Everything I have is Australian. Shoes, jeans, shirt, jacket. So I usually, on Sundays, I usually preach with the suit and shirt, not tie. But now, after I've seen all of this, I think when I go back home, I'm going to do the same. No, no suits anymore. So I'll wear them only funerals and weddings. Pastor Mickey and I always overjoyed when we come because we see the grace of God on this place. We see the favor of God on your lives, on Pastor Joe and the team. You need to realize that God puts a special favor on the leader first. And through the leader, it comes on the house. And everything that you do prospers because there's the touch of God on your life and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I would never want to lead the church without the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the favor of God. And God, in the last 17 and a half years, has put great favor on New Life Church in Toronto. We've experienced the great moves of God, revivals. And we were able, by the grace of God, to baptize 
over 800 people in 17 and a half years. And that's just the grace of God. Um, we assist the churches to you. The, 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 service, the service is almost identical. I think one time we could surprise you. I didn't discuss it with Pastor Joe. This is me, Pastor Joe. He'll be preaching in Toronto and I'll be preaching here uh, on, on a Sunday that you never know. So we might swap pulpits. It's exactly the same church and um, the same DNA, same culture, and God is, is so gracious to us. We've had great years in ministry, uh, great journey. The, now obviously, there's challenges whenever you're working in the field of, of God's work. There are many challenges, but I tell you, God has given us the grace to overcome every challenge in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've got a good sermon for you today, making sense of life. I hope it's going to be delivered in the right way and it's going to impact your life so that you'll never be the same again. When I preach God's word, I always say, I, I want to do it in such a way that with the help of the Holy Spirit, the people will never be the same again. And although we've had the two years of pandemic, uh, uh, almost two and a half years, we're extremely grateful to God for all he has achieved in us and through us. And how do I make my life make sense? God has placed eternity in all of us. We are not just a body. There is a spiritual eternal side to all of us. So many people are disillusioned with life. And so there are more people committing suicide every year. More and more people. Uh, the statistics in America, I think during pandemic uh, years, um, over 100,000 people overdosed yearly in North America. That's crazy. Uh, the suicidal rate uh, of the under 25 is on the increase. There are more people disillusioned with life. Well, you don't, you're not surprised. They teach a school that you come from nothing, you go to nothing, then why live? Um, if you teach you come from nothing, you go to nothing, life makes no sense. Um, uh, even if... Even, let's perchance uh, logically say, even if God were not real, the message makes more sense to life. But God is real. And the message makes extra sense to life. We come from God. We go to God. We live for God. That's, that's what life is all about. After salvation, how do I make sense of life it's the most important question. After, where will I spend eternity? How do I make life make sense is the next most important question. Many people experience what we call the narrative void. Someone said, that is where you have the light on, but no one is home. Have you been talking to some people? You look at them, but there's no one home. They're looking at you. Uh, but there's nothing there. And ma many times we talk about nonsense, we talk about nothing, uh, we just uh, empty talk. 
And uh, the Bible says, I want to take this as a text, Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the, the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue, reasoning with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers of the day. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what, did, what is this babbler doing, trying to say with his strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he seemed to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city, came, come and tell us about this new teaching, they said, about the resurrection and Jesus. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Well, we, we discussed so many other things. Why not discuss this one too? Let's see if it makes sense. Um, it should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. I want you to know we live in a society similar, very religious uh, in every way. They're religious. They don't want the church. They don't want God, creator of heaven and earth. But they're looking for God. They're looking for something to make sense of their life. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to the unknown God. They were so superstitious. They didn't want to offend any God. So they had one to the unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. Underline that. When you go to God, he has no needs. That's why he can meet your needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man... He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. Nothing escapes God. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. Paul was very educated and he would have been one of the few that could speak to the Gentiles and philosophers because he, he had been at two universities, Jewish University and Greek University. So he understood the people that he was speaking to. The apostle was very clear in his preaching that idols do not satisfy. Only God Almighty satisfies. Nothing else does. And these philosophers were trying to make sense of life. This is the condition of planet Earth today. Everyone is trying to find something. By the way, philosophy is such an empty discipline. Trying to, trying to, to break every idea, every thought, and, and trying to... To make them logical. Um, and, and we can get lost in philosophy. That's why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. 
Do not engage in endless philosophies. And there's many of them today that is taking people away from God and keeping people away from God. Uh, many people are interested in spirituality. Lots of people know that there is more to life. Paul was able to share with the Athenians that our God is the real God and there is a personal God. God does not abide in buildings, as amazing buildings might be. God does not abide in institutions, as good as they might be. God abides in people, in you, in your heart. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he created us with intentionality, and God wants us to reach to him. There is more. We are a story that God has involved himself in. You are not just uh, an accident, a chance, an accident. You are a person that God has thought of even before the foundation of the world. Now that's difficult to understand, difficult to comprehend. When we're going through difficulties in life, when we're going through tough times, it's, it's difficult to imagine. God created us with a purpose, with a plan, with a design. There, is, there are no chances with God. He has intentionality. When I think where I come from, a very poor place in Italy, and what God has done in my life, I could never have made it happen. God had intentionality. God knew me before the foundation of, of, of times. Even before the world was formed, God knew about every one of us. Uh, it's mind-boggling to think that God knew there was almost 8 billion people on earth. God knew everyone. God knows everyone. God knows every name. You're not a number. You're not an accident. You are precious in the eyes of God. Uh, I'm always blessed when I read Psalm 139. And when in your worst times, read Psalm 139. When you think you are nothing, read Psalm 139. When you think your life is, is finished, read Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me. So wonderfully complex. By the way, Darwin had no idea about the complexity of the cell. Uh, anyone who believes in evolution needs to, no, needs to rethink. I was going to say something, but i got to be politically correct. If you believe in evolution because you haven't thought enough. Because Darwin had no idea about the complexity of the cell. There's trillions of cells in our body. Every cell is a factory in itself. So precisely put together. In fact, I read books that say, if you keep the cell of your body healthy, you never get sick. The problem is we're not keeping the cell of our bodies healthy because of many reasons. But the cell is so complex. When one cell goes out of order, it brings others out of order. Trillions of cells you're made of. God knows every cell of your body. God knows exactly how you're made. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me. As I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven, 
was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The greatest prayer you can pray every day. Lord, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. You created me with a perfect plan. Let me be found in your plan for my life. The best way you can please God is accomplish his purposes for your life. He created you. He sent his son to die for you on the cross of Calvary. And then he says, I want to make something with you. And I want to bless the world with you. And not only I want to make sense of your life, but I want your life to become a blessing to many, many other people. I've created you with a purpose in mind. That makes you, that makes you feel on top of the world. Listen, self-worth comes when you understand who you belong to. Self-esteem is what you can practice and learn. But self-worth comes when you fully understand where you come from. If you don't have that right, your life will become a mess. You'll, you'll go out of order. Self-worth is what makes you wake up in the morning. Self-worth is what makes you depend on nothing else but on the God who created you. And so when you, when you relate with God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that gives you a self-worth that doesn't want you to be destructive, but that, want, that you become constructive. You become an answer, not a problem. And I wish the society would get it. I wish that our governments would get it. Our young people are missing self-worth because they do not know where they come from and they do not know where they're going. Therefore, life loses the meaning. Self-worth does not come from what you can do. You can become an amazing soccer player by kicking the ball eight hours a day. And that, that will give you self-esteem. As long as you play soccer, you've you got something to live for. But when at 35 or plus, you stop playing soccer because you're too old to play in a competition, then, then you start to ask the question, who am I? Where, where am I here? And you, in fact, if you study most sports, sportsmen, uh, go astray after they leave the sport. Because they, they don't have self-worth. Maradona is a great example. He destroyed his life. He died at 60 years old. He had all the money in the world. He got married on a jumbo jet. Uh, a a, a six, uh, 747. But when he stopped playing soccer, he became useless. No self-worth. Because he, he had no idea what his purpose in life was. So Psalm 139 gives centrality. Now there's a, there's a book and there's the intentionality of your life. God, God is writing our story. I'm so glad God is writing my story and not man. No one, no one is writing your story. God is writing your story if you allow him. Uh, many people have uh, uh, lived with whatever will be, will be. But... It's a different thing to live with God is writing my story. I want God to write my story. I want God to have the reins of my life in his hands. And God wants to get involved in our lives. Many, 
I've been a pastor for many years to see this. Many people come to Jesus, get saved, and then stop. They don't go the next step. Oh, I'm saved now. I'm going to heaven. I don't go to hell. Listen, God has more for you. You you get saved for a reason, not just to go to heaven. Heaven is a consequence of getting saved. But then what do you do? The day you become a Christian to the day that you go to heaven, what do you do? And that's the, the, the important question. God wants you to live a life that makes sense. Intentionality. Now, as you know, in literature, every story is a character. Many years ago, I said, I learned from movies. Pastor Joe laughed at that. But we learn from movies about characters too. I love to joke with him about this. What do you mean you learn from movies? Well, you learn a lot of things from movies. And every movie, by the way, is made, is, is, the story is written through a book most times, and then they put the movie together. But in, in, every, in every book or story, there's the victim. The victim is the character who feels like there is no way out. Poor me. Poor me, poor me, poor me. I've learned, in, I've learned that God doesn't answer my prayers when I, when I go with a poor me attitude. God doesn't want a poor me attitude. But people are playing the victim. Your life story stops right there. You become a victim. The second character in stories is the villain. The character who is responsible for writing in the story. Now, it's interesting. When you watch series, Pastor Mickey and I don't like to watch series because they go on and on and on and on. Man. And, and the villains keep on coming into the story to make the, to make the story more intriguing. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen with that character. How he, he or she is going to react. And sometimes they prolong the story so much that it's almost become predictable what's going to happen. But there's the villain in the story. Uh, and, and there are villains everywhere. Past villains are really past victims. A victim has the tendency to become a villain. The villains are people who, who were feeling so bad about their life that the only way to feel good, they think, is trying to bring everyone else's down. So they live their life to hurt people. And you've heard the say, hurt people, hurt people. And that's the villain. They slander, they criticize, they belittle, they hate, they envy, they jealous. These villains are victims trying to feel better. Here's the truth. Many people choose the victim and villain role as a coping mechanism. You're trying to cope. Therefore, you choose the victim and villain role, and they get stuck there. But there's a third character in every story. I love this character. That's the hero. The character that saves the day. Man, I love, I love the heroes. I can't stand transcendental movies. Um, uh, sorry, existential, existentialistic movies, where the end 
You don't know what the end is going to be. We leave it up to you to think which one is the end. I can't stand that. I love the hero story. I like to see finality, victory, something great happens. Robin Hood comes to rescue. Zero, 007 comes to the rescue. Superman comes to the rescue. Uh, Spider-Man, I love it. I put myself in Spider-Man, jumping from one building to another. The hero of the story. Uh, who are the heroes in life? Heroes are simply those who accept the challenge, choose to be transformed, and decide to help others. Those are the heroes. Heroes are not better people. They're just the same people. They go through challenges the same way as the victim and the villain, but they choose. They choose to be transformed. And they choose to help others. Um, you take the life of David. That's a great story in the Bible. We do not know whose mother David had. We know that he had his father, Jesse. We know that he had, uh, I think, seven brothers. And they were all better than him. They were all warriors. David was a shepherd boy. When, uh, when Samuel came to anoint one of the family as king, because God told him to go to the house of Jesse and anoint a king, he went. He saw all of the boys that the father uh, put before him. And he said, God said, none of these are the kings. They all look like kings. They're all robust and warrior. They all look like kings, but none of them is the king. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, yeah, but he's only a shepherd boy. You don't want him to be king. David could have, could have become a victim. No one thinks about me. I'm not sure how good I am. Uh, I'm rejected. He could have become a victim. But David found his strength in the Lord. David spent time with his harp as he was tending the sheep. David is singing unto God. He's making a melody from his heart to the Lord. David gets to know God. Whom to know brings great exploits in your life. And David went on to become the greatest king that Israel ever had. He became a hero. Not because he was better. Because he made the right choices. He wanted to, to be what God wanted to, him to be. When he went against Goliath, he said, You come against me with your strength, with the arm of human strength. But I come against you. In the name of the Lord Almighty, who created me, who made me, who has called me. And I'm going to feed you to the, to the birds of the air this day. He had an amazing strength in God. He made choices. They were good. God is calling every one of us to have a hero mentality. Every, every Christian ought to have a hero mentality. Because of who you belong to. Uh, be committed. Be a history maker. By the way, there's a fourth character in, in every story. There's the guide. The guide is the character who helps the hero. The guide assists the hero. And in, in the Bible sense, the guide is the Holy Spirit. 
He assists us. He comforts us. He encourages us. He, he helps us carry weights. Uh, in fact, Paul puts it this way. We comfort others with the same comfort that we have received from God. We want to help people live their best stories. We comfort because God has comforted us. So when we say there is no way out, we're playing the victim. There's always a way out. In God, there's always a way out. When we say we slander or belittle others, we become the villains. What a waste of a life, putting others down. Listen, I found out when I put someone else's down, it doesn't lift me up at all. Actually, makes me go down even further. So, what a waste of a life. When we say this is hard, but we accept the challenge, we become the hero. When we say I will help someone else, we become a guide. Now, here's the key that we need to keep in mind who's writing the story? You can choose the character that you want to be. God allows you to choose the character you want to be. God is definitely moved, but he says, you choose. What do you want to be? So now, here's how we make our life make sense. We need, we need narrative traction, something to live for. Life is not about pleasure, power, possession. As good as all of that is, the three Ps, pleasure, power, possession. Usually li people live for pleasure, they go to possession, they go to power. And that's the end of a life. But life is more than that. Let me give you a recipe for success. Number one, we need a vision of a better future for ourselves and others. We need a, a vision of a better future. For ourselves and others. And every stage of life brings its challenges. When you're a teenager, you have challenges. When you're in your 20s, you have challenges. When you're in your 30s, you have challenges. When you're in your 50s, you have challenges. When you're in the 70s, you have challenges. In the 80s, you have challenges. Every time of life has challenges. But, but Proverbs 29 says... When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. The second thing, if we want to have a successful life, we need, we need to be connected with a community who are committed to the same vision. This is a deep relationship to the same course. You can't do it alone. It's better to do it with others. Ecclesiastes says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And, and when we decide to do something together, we can make a huge difference. We get to do the vision with people that we love. That's why I believe in the church. I believe in the church. We get to do amazing things together. People that come to church week after week, are happier people, more fulfilled people, more joyful people, people that do life together and help and engage in the same vision together. Always remember, one is too small a number to make a difference in this world. You need someone else. Third point, 
If you're going to be successful, we need to be willing to engage and redeem every conflict that challenges the vision. Be willing to engage and redeem every conflict. When someone comes along and criticizes us or writes about us or says something negative to us, we have a choice. Get mad about it, become a victim, or we can rise above it and turn it around for the good. Your choice. You can become better, you can become better. That's a choice. It's got nothing to do with others. Oh, he made me do it. The devil made me do it. That person made me do it. No one can make you do anything. Not even God can make you do anything. It's a choice. He's given us free choice. Romans 8.28 is an amazing verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What you need to make sure you are in the purposes of God. I keep on saying this. This is the greatest revelation you can have. Be in the purposes of God. Don't just get saved to go to heaven. Get saved, come into the purposes of God and live an amazing life in God. Whatever comes, God is for you. God becomes your strength. Because you are in his purposes, his eternal purposes. All things work together for the good. For those who are in God, called according to his purposes. Not everything works according to the good unless you are in the purposes of God. You need to make sure you are in the purposes of God. What compelling thing are we trying to bring into the world? Who are you doing it with? How will you respond to the conflict that comes in your life? I, I want to pray that no one chooses victim. No one chooses villain. But everyone chooses hero, guide. Those are the two best characters you can choose. Stand with me as we bring the service to a close. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that your word has been spoken with clarity, with boldness and without fear. And I I just pray that even as we leave this place today, that we will reflect on the essence of your word. We don't want to write our own stories, Lord, because our own stories are going to be limited by by our own thinking and our own abilities. And Lord, we want you to write our stories. And we invite you to take the pen and write our stories, Lord God. And I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, that even as we reflect on, on your word today, Lord God, that God, that it would become a revelation in our hearts. And Father, that we would surrender our lives to you. We bind every preconceived idea. Every, every thought, every preconceived idea about who you are, we bind it in the name of Jesus. And we just pray that we would get a revelation of who you really are, Lord God, and what it is you want to do in our hearts and lives. Sweep over this place, Lord God, we pray. I thank you for Pastor Elio, Pastor Mickey, their ministry, Lord God, how you've used them to be a blessing in different nations of the world, Lord God. Continue to use them for your glory. Even in this next season of their life, Father, continue to use them for your glory, we pray. 
And we will give you all the glory and honor that is due to your name. And this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you're a guest here today and you'd like to know more about the church, we have a guest area at the back. Pastor Joseph will be there. Love to chat with you. The rest, God bless you. Have a great rest of the day in Jesus' name.